Good evening. How are you guys? Are you well? Are you good? Fantastic. Wasn't last Sunday evening absolutely spectacular? Eh? Faithful, full of life, absolutely amazing. And uh, when God does those sorts of things, we've just got to rejoice, soak in it, allow God to do what He needs to do in us and keep trusting Him for more. And I really trust that you are all encouraged and trusting Him for more. Um, just a quick note. The shine, we all, everybody wants us to shine up for shine. You know what that is, eh? You've got to sign up for shine. And then, by the way, also, the rooms are specifically dedicated. There's toddler's rooms, there's feeding mom's rooms, and the rest of the rooms are kind of off limits except for the shine group uh, that are in there now. Parents, please can you make sure that your children are not running around up there throwing water all over there, breaking up polystyrene cups while we're worshipping? It's unhelpful, as you can imagine. As you can imagine. So if you wouldn't mind just bringing them in, uh, if they're sitting at the back or whatever, or standing with you, whatever, whatever works for you. But just we've got to have a little bit of uh, decorum behind there because actually we're responsible for them. And if something happens to them, we're in trouble. And so we want to make sure that they are on track. Is that good with you? Yeah. All good. So, the exciting news, besides an equip that's coming on the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, which is a Monday night, a Tuesday, and a Wednesday morning, uh, in Maritzburg, of all places, can anything good come from Maritzburg? Yes, One Life Church does. And Elliot Sonjika does. And uh, so it's going to be an amazing time of leaders coming together, people coming together, churches coming together, ministering, being equipped for what God's called us to do, there's kids' facilities, there's breakaway sessions. In fact, Glenridge people are doing four of the breakaway sessions that are on offer. So it really is going to be an exciting time. Come along, support them, and come along and get God, invest into your life. Let God invest into your life over that time. But what is more immediate, next week we have a fast. Exciting. I didn't, not too many woo-woos there. Fasting. It's not just on water. The good news is it's not just water. You can have juice and you can have some soup. So it's actually easy. Piece of cake. No, it's a bowl of soup. And uh, so let's, it is going to be an amazing time. And tonight I want to just tee us up a little bit. Um, who's fasted before? Who's ne I'll put it this way. Who's never fasted before? Anybody? Everybody's fasted before. Fantastic, you guys. Wonderful, my champion. This is for you tonight. For you only and you alone. Now, there's, uh, we're going to do some things, and I, I, I spoke a bit about it this morning, and I kind of don't want to cover, redo that, uh, what I did this morning. I just want to touch briefly on why we fast, why Jesus fasted, etc. But what I want to do is I want to get into two texts that I think are going to shape this week. And um, we come into these moments of fasting, really, we, we're coming and saying, God, we know this nation needs you. We know this church needs you. We know you. we need you. Father, we are coming before you and saying, God, we want more of you. Please come and speak to us. Please come and encounter us. Please come and engage us. Please help us to, to deal with our stuff. God, come and do something with us that we can step forward into what you have. And so these times are not planned. It's not like we've got a whole schedule of what's going to happen. We, we've got an idea. We think. And, and the reason why I'm going to do the one text, which is Genesis chapter 26, it's about unblocking wells and digging new wells, as Emmy sent me an email the other day wonderfully. Emmy, you're such a machine, eh? No, not sorry. It was actually amazing. Like, all typed out. You could write a book just like that, out of that email. And uh, that's amazing. So God is, God is speaking. And, and obviously, with last week around 
around unblocking wells and in the morning unity around a, a, a fountain that stopped running Rory sp spoke about and, and, and two businessmen and their mom prophesying over that, over that fountain until it started running again. Um, there is something around this thing of God wanting to unblock wells, but there is also, as we'll see now, God wanting to dig new wells. That's the one text, Genesis 26. And then the other one that I've been reading about fasting, obviously coming into this, preparing, reading, I always kind of, if we're coming into a fast, I try and get another book, a different voice, a different thing, just to say, God, what, are you, what do different people say about fasting? And one of the texts I've come across that has really gripped my heart is 1, 1 Samuel chapter 7. We'll go there just now. And this is a profound story, and I think it depicts something of what God wants to do, I think. So what we're going to do is we're going to put those two texts on display. We're going to get excited about what God could be doing, and then we're going to come to the fast on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evening, 5.30 to 6.30, we praying. If you don't pray and you only fast, that's a hunger strike. You don't do that. The pray and fasting go together. If you're fasting, if you're just not eating and you think you're scoring brownie points with God, you're mistaken. You've got to be praying. The point is to say no to food and to say yes to God for a moment in time. So, so we're going to come together 5.30 to 6.30. We're going to have some profound worship and prayer together and allow God to do something. But the exciting news is this, is that between 12 and 1, we're going to be praying as well. My, my hesitation about putting two different times there is that actually we choose this as an option. Well, we can, if we can't, listen, if you can't get to one of them, you can get to the other. But the point of this is actually we want to get to both because God wants us to pray. And not everybody can get away during the day. Or, so, so that's not the, that's, the point is I just, God is wanting us to pray and to engage with him. So we're going to have two moments of praying together. The staff's going to be here. Whoever's here will be here. If it's 10 people, we're just going to pray. And in the evening, we're going to pray even more. So it's an amazing opportunity, friends. And if you've never fasted or if you haven't fasted for a long time, get into what God's doing here now and allow him to shape you in a profound way. So what, we, what I want to do is let's have a look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 7 first. Um, just a quick, a quick thought around why we fast. And the big idea here is that Jesus did it. Jesus endorsed it. Jesus gave instruction on the proper use of it over time in, through the Matthew, uh, through the Gospels. And the apostles practiced it. So actually, this is something that we, the apostles after Jesus' death and resurrection practiced it. They were worshiping together in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. They were worshiping together, and the Spirit of God fell on them and said to them, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the mission, for the work, for the task that I've called them. So in this moment of worshiping and fasting together in a church, a church doing it corporately together, two men were set apart for the apostolic work that God had for them, and that was the first apostolic journey come out of a place of prayer and fasting. So we can expect in moments of prayer and fasting together as a church that God will commission people. God will set people apart and say, I have a work for you, and I'm going to empower you to do it. Amazing, hey? So the apostles did this. When the apostles were going to lay hands on, on leadership and elders in the life of a church, it says that they would pray and fast before doing so. So these, uh, these, 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 these apostles were doing this. Jesus did it. He instructed about it. And these apostles were doing it. So actually, that's why we've got to continue to do it. The next thing is this, the purpose of fasting. And there's a number of them that I went through this morning. 
And I'll, I'll, I'll just mention two or three. One is this, is that fasting reminds us that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Luke chapter 4, Jesus was, in the, was, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God, the Holy Spirit, leads him into the desert to fast for 40 days. We only do three on fruit juice and soup. Jesus went on water alone for 40 days into the desert, into the de barren place. And full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit leads him there and he gets tempted. And one of the temptations is that actually that man does not live by bread alone, but by the every word that comes from the Father. You know that the Father, the analogy there that is used of that is a bird feeding its chick. So the idea there is, is the bird comes and eats a worm, takes it into its mouth, digests it a bit, chews it a bit, and then comes back to the nest and gives the little birds, the little chicks, exactly the amount that they need for what, they, what that time that they need it. It's amazing, this incredible personal, interpersonal, intimate relationship of a mother bird with its chick feeding out of its mouth as it goes into its mouth to pick the, the bits of food out. That's the picture that God has for us. We don't live by bread alone, but out of intimacy with Him, He feeds us exactly what we need and when we need it. Fasting reminds us of this. The second thing is this. I'm only going to give you two. Is fasting is our bodily response to spiritual work. So what we've done in the West, particularly in the West, we've separated body and spirit. And so there's the spirit, my spiritual life, my physical life, my emotional life. And they kind of, we compartmentalize and categorize them, where in fact God made us as one integrated unity. And so when, you, when you're spiritually sick, you get physically sick. And when you're physically sick, it affects your spiritual well-being. It, it affects you emotionally. It, every part touches each other. And our bodily response to spiritual desire and work that God's doing when there's a calamity, when there's a disaster, when there's a, uh, what's the other words I use, Cher? When there's, when there's death, when there's loss, when there's, when there's a moment of incredible angst, our, our bodily response to wanting more of God is to fast. And you see that right through the scriptures. Whenever the people of God are under pressure, the first thing they do is, God, we need to speak to you, we need to hear you, we need to stop eating so we can actually hear you. There is something of subduing our flesh, our appetites, and allowing God to speak to us. And this is one of these moments where actually we can come now, we set aside time, and every time we're about to eat, instead of eating, it reminds us actually we need, I, I, I don't live by bread alone. God, come and speak to me now. And we set some time aside. So take your, your lunch hours and your breakfast times and your supper times and just set them aside for God. Go and have, don't not have a lunch, time, uh, lunch hour, go and have a lunch hour, but don't eat Food, bread, eat him. See what I'm saying? That's the point. And so actually our bodily response to spiritual desire is fasting. It brings the challenge, the problem or question to God, and it positions us in a place of surrender and weakness and humility and saying, God, please speak to us. That's what fasting does. It's an incredibly good discipline and incredibly good practice. Fasting is not twisting God's arm it is not some super performance moment where actually we get brownie points from God, as I've said before. It's a moment, and it's not for God. Fasting is not for God. Fasting's for us. We need it. God doesn't need it. We need it. 
and it postures us and positions us to be with God. We get the idea. So right, that's the, that's the, the, the summary of this morning around why we do this and what we do. If you have medical conditions, if you have a medical conditions, if you're pregnant, if you just be careful about when you fast. So please go and get some advice around that. There's doctors amongst us. Just go and ask them, can I, can't I? Don't use it as an excuse not to, though, because I've got a sniffle. Like I've got a cold. Hey, I'm on medication. I took some Advil. No, I don't need to fast. No, you do. Don't be a wimp. We're going to fast. But the point is, don't be silly around these things, especially around medical conditions and pregnancies and all those sorts of things. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. This is the story of uh, the Philistines. If you have a look at 1 Samuel 5, they capture the ark of God. They capture the presence of God. They, they capture the symbol of the presence of God from the people of God. The people of God are going a little bit wayward. They're taking God for granted. They think God, the, 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 the ark is some kind of trinket. That if the ark's there, then it's all going to be okay. And I don't have to have relationship with him as long as the ark's there. So it's kind of quite religious. It's quite unrelational, and they've kind of lost their way a little bit. And so they go into a baton with presumption and assumption that God's with them because the ark's there, and they get sorted, and somebody steals the ark. So it steals the presence of God from God's people. It's a problem. But the, the interesting thing is that the Philistines then take them into their temple, and uh, they leave the, leave the ark there overnight. They come back, and their god, Dagon, which is a big statue, is lying face on the floor the following morning. And they're like, gee, whiskers, that's a bit of a trouble. Because I thought our god Dagon, because the reason why we won is because our god Dagon is better than their god, stronger than their god. So to steal somebody's uh, idol, to steal somebody's presence, uh, a kind of, uh, what's the word, symbol of their god, was to say that actually we've conquered you and our god's stronger than your god. Puts it in the temple, Dagon's on the floor. They thought, well, you know what? These things happen. Go to sleep the next night. They come back the next day. Dagon is now lying on the floor, but his head is off and his, and his hands are off. It's like this is properly sorting out. Like God's showing these guys, actually, just by the way, the reason why you think you've got me is I let you get me. Actually, your God is not super. I am. I'm the authority. I'm the God of all authority, and I'm the God of all ability, his hands and his head. And so he carries on with this, and they, he captures them. And then eventually what happens here, you see in... in um, they start to get sick. They get tumors. There's rats and there's all sorts of things happening. Eventually they say, get this thing out of here. We don't want this God amongst us. And so they send it back to the Israelites. So eventually they get their, 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 uh, um, their ark back again, their symbol of the presence of God again. But now, just because you've got the symbol, now you've got to get your heart right. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 7, you see what happens in their process of getting, their, of getting the presence of God back, being aware that the presence of God has left them and that they've gone off track, now they're coming back. So if you have a look at verse 2, it says it was a long time, 20 years, in fact, verse 1, so the men of uh, Kirath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. So, so they, they take it to this guy's house and his son becomes the keeper of it. It was, it was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in that city. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord 
And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, I'm convinced of this. Part of what God wants to do, friends, in this, next, in this fast, is God wants all of our hearts. I know God has not got all of my heart. I want Him to have all of my heart, but I know for a fact that I have moments of doubt, I have moments of faithlessness, I have moments of fear and panic and everything that everybody else does. And I know that the reason why that is the case is because I'm not surrendered to Him. And God wants all of our hearts. You know, friends, for 20 years, the thing is sitting there, the ark is sitting there for 20 years. You might have been saved for 20 years. You might have been walking with God for 20 years, but has He got all of your heart? And what God wants to do in this, next, in this season, as we surrender and posture ourselves to Him, He is, he is going to demand, He's going to ask, and we need to surrender all of our heart. Every part of who we are. No parts given, not included. So He says to them, Return to the Lord with all your hearts and rid yourselves of all foreign gods and the asteroids. See, it's surrender all of your heart, but then get rid of some stuff. God is going to rid us of some things this week. God is going to take rid of, get rid of some habits. God's going to get rid of some addictions. God's going to get rid of some emotional issues. God's going to get rid of some of our friends that shouldn't be part of our friendship circles because it's unhelpful to our relationship with God. God is going to get rid of some greed. God is going to get rid of some things. I'm convinced of it because if you give Him all of your heart, the next step is what's not of Him actually gets left behind. That's what he says. And commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. He gets all of your heart. You get rid of some stuff. Actually, we commit ourselves to Him. God, I want to walk with you. But I want to get distracted. I don't want to get moved away, crossed over. Just, I want to be with you. I want you to be the, we've got a value in this church, God first. God, I want you to be first in my life. You need to be the priority of my life. Lord, help me. Help me in my weakness. And commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bowels, Asherahs, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, assemble all the Israel to Mitzpah, and I'll intercede for the, with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was their leader, was the leader of Israel at Mitzpah. It's an incredible thing. This thing of drawing water keeps coming out. came out last weekend. We'll have a look at Genesis chapter 26. It's about wells and finding water. God wants to pour out on us, friends. Last Sunday, we had Rory pouring oil over, over, over men's beards in the morning. And we had him pouring wine over Christian in the evening. And this week, God is going to pour out his water on us as we fast. It's a profound thing to see. God is speaking to us. And all we've got to do is posture ourselves in a place of surrender and position ourselves where he wants us to be so that we're at the right place at the right time with him. And he will land on us. So they drew water and they poured it out before him. And they fasted. They surrendered their lives. And it's an amazing thing. One of those fruits of fasting is that you confess, Lord, not every part of me is with you. Confess their sin. The closer we get to Jesus, the, real, the more the realization that we're less like him. 
And as we get closer, closer to him, as the light becomes brighter and brighter and shines, and we realize like we shot with holes, we like Swiss cheese as human beings. But his grace and his goodness is enough to cover over and fill every part that is not part of him. And what we do is we end up saying, God, I'm full of holes, Lord. Help me. We hear before you, Lord God. Come in power. Come in your grace. That's what's going to happen this week. When the Philistines heard that the Israel had assembled at Mitzpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up and to attack them. Remember, they're in a very religious, very um, spiritual environment-minded kind of people that if you're going to attack, you don't just go to attack. You first go to your God and you start to worship and you, and you commune with Him and then you go and attack. And these Philistines see them gathering around God and they think, whoa, we're going to get attacked. So they think, well, wait, we're not going to wait for them. We're going to attack them. So they start to attack them. And friends, can I say this? You're going to fast this week. You're going to surrender all of your heart. You're going to confess your sin. You're going to realize that you're not every part of you. Actually, God's, God needs more of you. And the next thing that's going to happen, friends, the Philistines are going to come after you. And we've got to expect the Philistines to come after us. But look what happens. Because it is the, it is the, it is the picture to his people that he is with them, and he is powerfully with them. And this is what he goes on to say. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord your God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up, offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. It's an amazing thing. Always, friends, when we find we're short with God, the solution is always a lamb. When we find we're short with God and we're not right with God and we're shot with holes and we Swiss cheese before God, the solution is the Lamb. The solution is Jesus. The, the solution is the innocent Jesus that died on our behalf so that we can be in relationship with God in a profound way. And if you don't know Jesus here this, morning, this evening, I want to say to you, you've got to get to know this Jesus. You need to get to know this Jesus. I'm trusting that God would get you into His life so that His life can be in you. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines draw near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they, that they were routed before Israel. How's that story? You know, when we're in God, we don't have to get blood in our hands. He does the fighting. When we've got blood in our hands because of the fight we're in, it's because we're not trusting God. If you've got blood in your hands, it's because we not, don't know God. It, I mean, I don't know how many stories are like this. The people get before God, they sacrifice, they trust in Jesus' name for us now in the New Testament. And what he does, he comes with loud thunder and lightning and defeats the enemy. God, over this week, friends, I am convinced of this thing, that God, you can expect this week as we fast, as we get together in faith and press into Him, God is going to deliver businesses into deals. God is going to take us into more. God is going to break in, and you're not going to get blood on your hands. You're not going to be tired and weary. His power and His thunder and His lightning is going to be manifest amongst us, and what is, what's going to happen is, friends, we're going to watch this and think, oh God, thank you, Jesus because we're going to be so amazed at what he's done amongst us. I'm trying to say this because I want us to get expectant this week as we pray together and fast together. 
And I think this is, we think, I think this is what he's going to do. It's something like this. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means stone of help. We're going to come out of this week and realize we're standing on, sitting on, resting on the stone of help. The rock of help. The rock of ages, Jesus Christ. And that's where it all lands, back in him. Isn't that exciting? Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. Genesis 26 is about the Philistines again. These pesky Philistines keep getting in everywhere all the time. They don't give up. Genesis 26, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. Isaac is with his family. The natural thing to do, the most obvious thing to do, is to leave where there's this famine and go to Egypt where there's no famine so that your family can survive. You know, friends, people are leaving this nation at the moment in their droves. Friends, if that is not in God, that's not a safe place for you to go. It doesn't matter whether it's Australia, whether it's London, or whether it's the U.S. or wherever it is. If it's not in God, it's not a safe place. But if God's spoken to you, get there quick as you can. The obvious thing is to leave and go to Egypt. Because, friends, it can be Egypt, that place for you. It can be amazing, but it can be Egypt. Egypt, not a lack of place. When you're in famine, it could be okay, but when not, it's not a lack of place. Because Pharaoh's there, and he's not a Pharaoh. So, is, where's, where's Raymond when I need him, but... Anyway, they go there, and what happens is God says, don't leave, stay here. And look what it says in verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. You see, God, God speaks, we obey, and he blesses. A hundredfold blessing in the midst of a famine. Everything's dying except his crops. They're not dying. Isaac's crops are growing. Can we believe in the midst of an economic situation that South Africa's in that our, we can have a hundredfold? Friends, I pray, we pray as an eldership team, most Thursdays we mention every single one of us in this room and that are members and we say, God, will you prosper their businesses? Will you prosper them? Will you protect them? In the midst of whatever, will you give them a hundredfold blessing? We do that. Can we believe that we can have this and see this? He had so many flocks and herds. Eventually, I love this, verse 13. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He wasn't just rich. He was very wealthy. Now I'm sounding like a prosperity preacher. He wasn't just rich. Amen. Glory. He wasn't just rich. He was very wealthy. It continued to grow in the famine, in the barrenness, in the midst of what should be dead. He continues to grow. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father, father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up and started filling them with earth. Friends, whenever there's breakthrough, whenever there's a moment that God blesses, the Philistines come. Be aware of the Philistines. Don't be scared of the Philistines. Just know the tactic of the enemy and know that our God is bigger. 
And so anyway, it goes through this, and then so Isaac moved away. Then Abimelech, who is the king, said to Isaac, you must move away from us. You're too powerful for us. They get jealous. They get intimidated. People are going to get intimidated by your gifting in the marketplace. People are going to get jealous of your favor in the marketplace. And they're going to ask you to move away. Look at what he does. So Isaac moved away. Isaac knows that the blessing doesn't stop by where he's positioned. His blessing is, is, uh, is comes to be because of who he knows. And so he, he moves away from there and camps in the valley, and Isaac reopens some wells that his father Abraham had dug. And every time he opens a well, they, the herdsmen of that area start to quarrel, and so he has to move away, and he moves away, and he moves away. He's a man of peace, and he knows that God will, even if I'm facing opposition, God will continue to bless me. God's with me. And so eventually you get to verse 23. From there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Eventually you get to the place where you've moved away, you've moved away, and you think, God, there's so much favor, but God, we moved away, and actually God says to you, listen to me now. I am your father. I am the God of your father. I am Jesus Christ, the one that you said yes to. Hold on, don't shake. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. It not it incredible that the increase now is not the increase of his riches to very wealth. It's now he moves on as he's moving away and moving and counting on God. He moves into the place of generational blessing where his descendants will become numerous, not just his flocks. God wants to do something with us this week, friends. And he doesn't want to just bless your business. He, wanted to, he wants to give you a legacy. He wants to give you something of that is going to last generations. It's absolutely profound. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 28. Meanwhile, Abimelech came to him from, sorry, verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech, the king, comes to him from Gerar with, with that guy, Ahuzdath, whatever his name is, his personal advisor, and Fikol, the commander of his forces. So his personal advisor and his military commander, he comes to see Isaac. Isaac asked him, why have you come to me since you were so hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw the Lord was with you, so we said, we ought, to, we ought to have sworn a, an agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm. Incredible, hey? You see, the people that send you away will eventually come back to you in God. If you hold on to God and you don't hold on to yourself and you don't hold on to them because you think they're your provider and you think they're the open door. They're not the open door. Jesus is our open door. So he comes down and he says, actually, he comes back and we're going to make a thing. But Isaac made a feast for them. We are entering into a feasting season in this, in, in this church. We're entering to a feasting season. And verse 32, that day Isaac's servants came and told them about the well they had dug. They said, we have found water. There's this water again. Oil, wine, water. It's symbol of the blessing of God, of the provision of God. That you dig a well and suddenly you strike water. Friends, when a community of people come together in faith, single-minded, single-hearted, together to find their Lord and to say, God, please help us. 
please, we need you. We want more of you. We need more of you in the city. We need more of you in this nation. need more of you in my home. I need more of you in my business. I need more of you in my heart and in my mind and in everything. Lord, I need more of you. When that happens, friends, we strike water. We strike water. And wells begin to pop up. You see, the wells that, the, what, that the, and this was Emmy's, Emmy's uh, email to me, the wells that was, were dug up in the past are, 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 that were blocked up. It's wonderful you've unblocked them and you kind of moved on. But they're not the wells that are going to be for the future. They're the wells from the past that will source us and be of great value to us. But actually, God's got new wells for us to dig. God wants us to dig new wells. He wants us to dig more space. And so what happens is, is that actually Isaac now strikes water in the midst of this. He keeps finding water, and he keeps finding favor. God wants us to find water, and God wants us to find favor in this next season. And us coming together, friends, is going to be profound, I believe, in unlocking that. Four things quickly. Isaac built an altar. There he called on the name of the Lord. Then he pitched his tent, and then he dug a well. In that order. Heard this preached many times. In that order. God wants us to build an altar. Friend, it must be God first. And the altar that we serve around and we walk around, that we ser- the sacrifice that, because that's what altars do. Altars are a place of sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to find a sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. So you put Jesus first, but you don't just put Jesus first. You actually begin to call on him. Begin to call on him and say, God, break him. God, come now. God, we need you more of you. God, please bless my brother. Please bless my sister. Please bless my kids. Please bless my spouse. Father, will you come in power? And we begin to call on his name and say, God, you are king. As we did tonight, the name of Jesus is powerful. I believe in the name of Jesus. It's calling on him and waiting for him to respond. The, third, the second thing that happens is he pitches a tent. And I want to encourage every single one of us here tonight, friends. We can put Jesus first, we can call on his name, and we cannot have a home, and we miss something in God. You've got to find home. You've got to pitch a tent somewhere. You've got to establish yourself somewhere. The Bible says that when you plant yourself in the house of the Lord, you will flourish, Psalm 91. For some of you that are around, that you, you, you're moving around, you, you try, you're kind of wondering, plant yourself in a local church, in a local family, and allow God to bless you through the people in that place. Build a sacrifice, get before Jesus, begin to call on his name, find a home, and then it says, and then they dug a well. Then they strike water. We can't be striking, thinking we're going to strike water when we haven't, we haven't put our trust in Jesus. We're not calling on his name, and we haven't found a home yet. That's the, that's the progression. Dug, build an altar, Jesus first. Call on his name. Build a tent and strike water. And the amazing thing is the promise of Jesus is that spring will never, ever dry. And you will never, ever thirst again, he says to the Samaritan woman. Never will you thirst again if you find that water. And God this week, friends, is going to unblock some wells. He's going to help us dig some new wells. And we're going to see God thunder before us as we go ahead in these two texts. Isn't that exciting? And I pray that I've put something in your heart to allow us this week to have expectation. If you thought you weren't going to come, that you are going to be coming now. Don't, don't lose this opportunity. 
Let God do something profound in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.